Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Good morning. Praise be to God. Erasing our past. Totally obliterating our history. Could that be a good thing? I wonder. Even if that history is filled with error or or uh, warts or problems, is it still good to erase it? You know, they're removing the, the statue of Thomas Jefferson in New York City from town hall, from the city hall. And we're going to jump into that story as well as some other stories in the What's Concerning Us section. There was a, a story out that I'm going to report on that makes my blood boil. Witnesses to on a train in Philadelphia that did nothing to stop a man assaulting a woman other than film it and probably post it to their social media. Outside of that, they did nothing to stop the assault. Makes my blood boil. Uh, there's a judge in New York who's also denying visitation rights uh, to the father of a three-year-old because why? He's not vaxxed. Can't see your son. There's the new national sex standards that have come out uh, that many schools, public schools all across our nation, are now going to be teaching gender identity, sexual orientation, and many other perversities right in the schools that you pay taxes to support. So there's a lot of stories in the What's Concerning Us section to jump into today. Uh, Praise be to God, we'll cover some of those at 15 past this hour. At 35 past this hour, Luke Burgess is going to be on. He is with Catholic University of America. We're going to be talking about capitalism, culture, and the U.S. workforce. And I think it comes down to this philosophical concept of what do we want, why do we want that? But also, from the gospel today, giving up what we want for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. I think that's at the heart of our conversation at 35 past this hour with Luke Burgess. So stick around for that. Speaking of giving things up, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. Is Despite it the fact that Joe is trying to bring us down, <laughs> no, it's still good to be here. Is it still you, good you to be here? You can still look out your window, mm-hmm. look at the mm-hmm. world around you and, Burning. Say, <clears throat> and say, you know, it's still good to be here. Sky's falling. Uh, sky may be falling, <laughs> but you know it's rather to be than not to be. Uh, that is the question, isn't uh, it? No, it's it's, is... it's it's the it's answered already. <laughs> that question has been answered. It is good to be here. Is it now? Amen. Are you it. sure? Absolutely. Hmm, okay. Hey, by the way, North Korea has uh, successfully launched a missile from the submarines. Does that well, still make you feel that's good? That's awesome. Good for them. <laughs> Congratulations, guys. Yeah, I've good, made some leaps and bounds. <laughs> No, the uh, <laughs> that's terrible. No, uh, no. I mean, Saint Thomas Aquinas talked very clearly about the fact that it's better to exist than to not exist. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, just barely, just by the fact that we're here today and we're yeah, speaking, yeah, and people are listening, and people are driving. It's good to be here. Praise be to God. You know, there is a good news story I'll be covering next hour, but it reminds me uh, because uh, the story is about Myra Rodriguez, who is kind of like an Abby Johnson, but from Mexico. 
Uh, she became a whistleblower against Planned Parenthood. So I'll share a little bit about her story in the Good News segment at the top of the next hour. But we're also going to be talking to to Myra in our after show today. So if you want to hang out with us at uh, th- 730 Central, uh, you can do so right on our one of our live video feeds. We're going to have a conversation with Myra about uh, her decision to become a whistleblower against Planned Parenthood and crossing that pro-life line. And uh, we'll, we'll play that interview, I don't know, in the next week or so in this hour. But if you want to get the, uh, the, the jump on that, then join us live at uh, half past the very next hour. All right, so that's the deal. We're going to jump into breaking news and stories, gospel of the day, saint of the day, and then uh, we will hopefully get a little bit of reflection in, and then we'll have some what's concerning us at 15 past. Let's start. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headlines. Epic Times reports billionaire supermarket owner warns food prices will go up tremendously. The owner of Diagostino's New York City supermarket chain predicted that food prices will increase sharply in the next few months, with some increasing 10%. The billionaire food market, supermarket owner said he warned that food giants such as Nabisco, PepsiCo, and Coca-Cola will prioritize raising prices on products. Experts have said that a significant backlog of shipping containers is currently being processed at two major California ports and is snarling delivery of food and other goods. Energy shortages in the Asia-Pacific and European areas, as well as the COVID-19-related concerns, lockdowns, vaccine mandates, have also been blamed for the supply chain crunch. Compared with one year ago, consumers are paying significantly more for goods and services, according to recent data released by the Department of Labor. The National Post reports, and this story really gets my blood boiling, writers who shot photos and video of Philadelphia train rape but didn't help victim could be charged. Several writers watched as a woman was sexually assaulted Wednesday night on a train near Philadelphia, but they did not intervene or call police. And some, authorities have now said, even took pictures and videos while it happened. Officers reviewed surveillance footage from the Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority train that shows a man board a westbound train at about 10 p.m. shortly after a woman, and then he sat next to her. According to Upper Darby Township Police Department Superintendent Timothy Bernhardt, the assault lasted about eight minutes and none of the other passengers intervened, the authority said. The man, identified as Fiston Nagoy, 35 years old, said, quote, He sat next to her for a conversation, unquote, said Bernhardt. And then he, quote, just completely overpowered the woman and forcibly raped her, unquote. While there were not dozens of people in the car at the time, Bernhardt did say there were enough that collectively they could have gotten together and done something. He says, quote, I'm appalled by those who did nothing to help this woman, Bernhardt told the Times on Sunday, going on to say, quote, anybody that was on that train has to look in the mirror and ask why they didn't intervene or why they didn't do something, unquote. I wonder if any of those passengers were men 
And I wonder if they chose not to take an action for a reason. Just makes my blood boil. Anyway, moving on. Breitbart is reporting kidnappers demand $17 million for release of U.S. missionaries in Haiti. The criminal gang that abducted a group of 17 North American Christian missionaries in Haiti this weekend has demanded $1 million each for their release. Uh, the Justice Minister of Haiti said the FBI and Haitian police are in contact with the kidnappers and they're working to secure the release of the missionaries. The Daily Wire reports the Biden administration dropping thousands of underage migrants into New York in the dead of night. The Biden administration is still moving unaccompanied minors who came across the United States-Mexico border out of shelters and into non-border states, according to an exclusive report from the New York Post, which tracked flights coming in the dead of night, transporting underage migrants to suburban New York. The charter flights originate in Texas, where the ongoing border crisis has overwhelmed local immigration officials and have been underway since last August, according to sources familiar with the matter. Records suggest that as many as 2,000 migrants have been transported from facilities along the border to New York State, a fraction of the 37,000-plus unaccompanied minors that, according to the United States Customs and Border Patrol, entered the U.S. illegally during the months of July and August, and a further fraction of the tens of thousands who have come across the border since President Joe Biden's inauguration. And those are your headline news. The saint of the day is a, one of my favorite saints, St. Saint John Cantius. He was born in Kenty, Poland in June 24, 1390. He was, uh, at the age of 23, he registered for studies at the Jagiellonian University in Krakow. That was the same university at which astronomer Nicholas Copernicus would study almost 80 years later. In fact, I actually got to go to the Jagiellonian University a couple summers ago. John became a doctor of philosophy in 1418, and he began studies in theology and later assumed the directorship of the university's theology department. John spent many of his free hours hand-copying manuscripts of the Holy Scriptures, theological tracts, and other scholarly, scholarly works. Although only 26 volumes have survived to our time, there are total over 18,000 pages, a testament to his exceptional industriousness. He became well-known among the city's residents for his generosity and his compassion toward the poor. He felt a special affinity toward those needy students at the university, helping to care for their spiritual, physical, and academic needs. Whether it was in the classroom or in the pulpit, everyone knew him as a staunch defender of the faith and enemy of heretics. By the time the master from Kenty died, the people of Krakow already considered him a very holy man. That this opinion was wholly justified can be evident by the numerous favors and miracles attributed to John's intercession, beginning immediately following his death. Before long, John from Kenty became known widely through Europe, drawing pilgrims from many countries to his tomb in the University of Collegiate Church at St. Anne. And I've actually been there too and prayed in front of his tomb. Praise be to God. And if you're in, in America, I'd head and check out St. John Cantus in Chicago. Beautiful, beautiful parish. Maybe the bit most beautiful in America. He died in December 24th, 1473, and he was canonized. He didn't start the cause of canonization until 150 years later and was not canonized until 1676 by Pope Clement XIII. St. John Cantus, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from the proper of the saints, Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any man would come after me, 
Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay every man for what he has done. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. St. Chrysostom says, To show the impropriety of those things which Peter had said, and the fruit of his own passion, whence it is added, then Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. As much as to say, You say unto me, Be it far from thee. But I say unto you, that not only is it harmful for you to hinder me from my passion, but yourself will not be able to be saved unless you suffer and die and renounce your life always. Close quote, St. Chrysostom, pray for us. What is he talking about here? The verse that immediately precedes today's gospel passage, again, it comes from the proper of the saints, not the, the regular uh, daily mass gospel reading, uh, is St. Peter had just received the keys to the kingdom, given that special role as, as a prime among the apostles. And then what does he do? Jesus reveals his passion and St. Peter's like, no, of course not. We're not going to let you die. And then Jesus rebukes him for it. So what is the, what is the hammer blow to our heart in St. Chrysostom's uh, sayings today? Is that our salvation depends on our willingness to not hinder the Lord in his work, but rather to join him on the cross, on Calvary, to die to self. How attached are we to this world? The th we're going to have a conversation with a guest coming up at 35 past the hour about the things that we want and desire. Well, our Lord's words are very clear today. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels and the glory of his Father. Then he will repay every man for what he has done. The time of mercy is going to come to an end and our judgment will arrive and we will get what we deserve. Uh, Gregory, St. Gregory said, For unless a man departs from himself, he does not draw near to him who is above him. But if we leave ourselves, whither shall we go out of ourselves? Or if we have forsaken ourselves, who is then that goes? Indeed, we are one thing when fallen by sin, another thing as we were made by nature. It is therefore then that we leave and deny ourselves when we avoid that which we, are, we were of old and strive towards that which we are called in newness. In other words, put on the new Christ, die to self. And let us die on the cross next to our Lord and Savior, because we can't enjoy Easter without Good Friday Passion. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. 
GloryAndShine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. GloryAndShine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At GloryAndShine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, GloryAndShine.com. Thank you again. The next National Men's March to End Abortion is Monday, November 15th in Baltimore. We will gather outside of a local abortion center and march to our rally point outside of the USCCB Fall Assembly. Men, it's time. We are killing unborn children by the millions. Yet how many men should be here? But where have all the good men gone? Where are you? Go to themensmarch.com for more information and commit to join us on November 15th in Baltimore. be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at 35 past the hour, we're going to be speaking with Luke Burgess. He uh, is with the Bush School of Business at Catholic University of America. We're going to have a conversation around uh, the U.S. economy, of course, um, but the desires of what we want and why we want them. Capitalism, culture, and U.S. workforce with Luke Burgess coming up at 35 past the hour. There are some stories, though, that are, I would say, incredibly concerning to me personally, I'm sure to many of you. One is the one of the stories I just reported on, and it's been reported in several outlets, but the one I looked at this morning was out of the National Post. The headline said, Writers who shot photos, video of Philadelphia train rape, but didn't help the victim, could be charged. Now, this is a concerning story, because I gotta say, as a dad, as a husband, and a father, every time I see stories like this, boy, I get the hairs in the back of my neck stand up. It's my job to protect, to provide, to care for uh, those whom the Lord has placed into my care and custody. The thought that my daughter, my wife, might be on a, a train and be, mol- be molested, to be assaulted in this way, and no one comes to their rescue. We're too busy in a day and an age. We take these phones and we film all of this stuff because we want to post it to our social media feeds because, golly gee whiz, it could blow up and it could go viral, Joe. I mean, isn't that like the, the mark of success in our modern age? And this poor woman, no one, no one came to her rescue. Now, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, um, the people that were riding the train were afraid. Maybe just maybe that the gentleman who was assaulting that poor woman was big and strong and mean and scary. And they thought they would get harmed, and so they didn't want to get involved. I'll never forget a story that Jesse Romero once told me during an interview that I had with him. I want to say he included this in, in his book. A story about how when he was a little boy and his father uh, witnessed someone being assaulted in a car uh, not far from them. And his dad took off his jacket, handed it to his wife, and told them to stay right where, right, right, right where they were. And then he went, he opened the door to that car, and he pulled out the man who was assaulting the other person. He didn't know what the results were going to be. He simply did the right thing. And this story bugs me. Eight minutes, eight long minutes, and these... These witnesses never once 
called the cops. Not even once. Maybe, well, Joe, maybe the, maybe the cell signal wasn't great because they were uh, on a train moving or something. Mm-hmm, sure. Not once. You didn't even call the cops, let alone actually intervene. I mean, go back to uh, the plane on 9-11. Let's roll. Remember that? Those passengers, did they thought they were dealing with terrorists with a bomb? And still, they knew that they had to do something. This, this really bugs me to no end. Here's a, a quote from one of our uh, CDT Insider fans. Hangs out with us every single day, Buddy Canine over on Facebook. He says, he says this is going to be a bit controversial, but in the environment we're living in, defending someone can get you put in jail. If someone protects their neighbors and the person is a person of color, they will be charged as a racist, just as the men, just as the men in Georgia and the young man in Wisconsin. And he goes on to say, in rebuttal of my statement, I would have intervened if I saw a woman being attacked. And there you go, buddy. I think that lies in, uh, in the heart of it, doesn't it? At the end of the day, if, if we are in a situation where uh, something, an, an unjust, incredible uh, event like this is taking place in front of us, unfolding before our very eyes, irregardless of the consequences, do we not have an obligation, especially as men? Uh, to do something, to try, to make an attempt, to stand around, to use our phones, to, to record and do nothing? I don't know. Tro- this is incredibly troubling to me. Adrian, uh, what, what say you? Yeah, one thing that I would want to would interject and say, yeah, I, I know you're we're just speaking off the cuff, but I wouldn't refer to this man as a gentleman at all. I mean, I'd barely refer to him as a man. Uh, Patty on our Facebook page said, "Stop calling the man, an a- uh, stop calling that animal a gentleman. He's not a gentleman." And absolutely, I mean, this is this is a perversion of what a man is. It's disgusting because uh, it's the exact opposite of what a man is supposed to be. A man is supposed to be a defender, a protector, uh, someone who uh, stands up. I mean, we lost a sense of chivalry, and what chivalry, but someone fighting for men, uh, fighting for women, rather. We look at the knights of old, and what do we see? We see the men uh, going off to battle. Why? To protect our women. And we the building this whole culture. And this goes right back to this uh, egalitarian mindset where men and women are equal. You know, women should stand up for themselves, could defend themselves. Uh, putting women in the draft. Like we have this whole regard where we don't care about women anymore. We don't think that there's someone that needs to be protected. And this is wrong. This yeah, is wrong. 100%. We, are, we must protect our women. Other Everything else. It doesn't matter if we don't protect our women. Who yeah. cares about our own lives if if the most uh, vulnerable and the most precious among us are being attacked and being killed or being sent off to die for us? Right. It's absurd. It's it is absurd. absurd. And you're right, uh, Patty. He's not a gentleman. That's for sure. This is the this is the tragedy of concupiscent nature of of uh, our passions that we don't check with reason and intellect with the right knowledge of who we are and the freedoms we are given and what that freedom means for us to do the right thing, to give God what is due to him, to treat our neighbors as ourselves. When we act in this way, we act like something lower than the, even the animal kingdom. It is an incredible tragedy. But where is, where is the, the men in our society who will stand up to do the right thing? This reminded me that uh, coming up, I'm going to be participating in the Men's March to End Abortion Monday, November the 15th in uh, Baltimore. I'm very honored to have been invited 
um, by the organizers to come and to give a, a small talk at this event. And this is at the heart of what we're trying to do. We have to defend the weakest and most vulnerable in our societies. We have to stand up as men. This issue, whether it's abortion or this woman being attacked uh, by this thug, men have lost that edge because of emasculated culture that uh, we have given ourselves over to disordered passions, like pornography, for instance, like selfishness, materialism. This has, has totally divested of us of our calling as men. So coming up on November the 15th, I'm excited to be a part of this men's march to end abortion. Please do me a favor and share that widely with men in your life because we want a lot of men to go. The website is themensmarch.com, themensmarch.com. One more time, themensmarch.com. Please spread that widely. Let me go to this story real quick because it, it also bugs me to no end. I love history. It's my favorite subject. I don't know if you knew that or not, but it is my favorite subject. Um, Here's a story out of the blaze. Headline goes, New York City will remove Thomas Jefferson's statue from City Hall. Really? Thomas Jefferson? Good grief. He's not Robert E. Lee for crying out loud. What's going on here? The article goes a little like this. New York City officials voted unanimously on Monday to remove a seven-foot-tall statue of Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence, from City Hall. The statue, which has stood in New York City Council Chamber at City Hall for more than 100 years, will be relocated after the Public Design Commission voted 8 to nothing to relocate the statue at the request of members of City Council's Black, Latino, and Asian Caucus. Uh, several city officials that spoke at a hearing on the state uh, the statue raised Jefferson's legacy as a slave owner and a cause to remove him. From City Hall. In other words, because he owned slaves, that is why. They say, quote, Thomas Jefferson was a slaveholder who owned over 600 human beings, unquote. Queens Councilwoman Andrian Adams said, quote, it makes me deeply uncomfortable knowing that we sit in the presence of a statue that pays homage to a slaveholder who fundamentally believed that people who look like me were inherently inferior, lacked intelligence, and were not worthy of freedom, or rights. You can read the rest of the story yourself, but that's basically how it goes. And it's been going that way all over our country now for for a while. I mean, this particular cause to remove this statue is not even new. The article even says it's been around for a long time, but now it's it's gained steam in the last year and a half as more and more of these statues are removed and taken down all over our country. Now, let me tell you something about Thomas Jefferson. He's, an, he's a complicated character in many ways. He was a deist. Um, he believed in a higher power, but that's kind of the extent of things. Of course, he also embraced the French Revolution uh, in a mighty way. He, he embraced the ideals of the French Revolution, which as a Catholic, I would have great, uh, great problems with. He did own slaves, but he also had problems with owning slaves. He didn't like the idea of owning slaves. In fact, he worked to limit slave ownership in the South. Why did he still keep his slaves then? Oh, well, because in his concupiscent nature, he also knew that he needed money. And his, his uh, farms, his plantations generated tobacco product that made a lot of money for himself and for his, uh, for his uh, clients and, and so forth. Even England made a lot of money off of the Jefferson Plantation. And he needed the working staff to work the plantation, so he kept the slaves. But let me tell you, uh, he was bothered by that. Now, I'm not giving him a pass or an excuse here. I'm simply explaining. So he is a complicated character. 
But here's where I go with this. If we are going to erase history so that we can't enjoy the lessons we learn from history, then we are going to repeat these lessons again. And this is where I would have pause. Now, many, I've known many people who, who lavish incredible love on the founding fathers of this great nation. And they seemingly give a pass to the faults and the foibles, the sins of those same founding fathers. Um, <laughs> ben Franklin, a scoundrel. He was a scoundrel. Read some books about his life. This guy, uh, he, was, he had a very low moral compass. Several of the founding fathers were in the same boat. Thomas Jefferson, as I just stated, had his, had his own. But I'll say this. God can do amazing things through incredible sinners just like you and me. In spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sins, God can still do incredible things. The very fact that the document that uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote, the Declaration of Independence, had statements that further tried to limit slavery, but were removed by the rest of the signers, Ben Franklin, thinking of you, should indicate something about the heart and mind of this great uh, founding father, in spite of the fact that he was not perfect and definitely not saintly. But we're not going to learn that lesson now because not only do they not teach history in schools anymore, but because he's out of sight, out of mind, he will only be looked upon as a slaveholder and not as a guy who did try to limit slaveholdings in the South where he was from. I wonder how you feel about that. Maybe we can have a conversation around how you feel about the removal of statues around our country about these complicated figures. Uh, you know, General Lee being an example of a very recent uh, example. I am very passionate about the removal of Hanipero Serra statues or uh, Columbus statue or the attempt to remove uh, the, uh, the saintly king of France in St. Louis not all that long ago. Um, but I wonder how you feel. You can always hang out with us in the after show and conversate about that. Even though we're going to have a guest in our after show today, uh, I would still encourage you to comment and let us know what your thoughts are on this very important topic and again don't forget to let people know about the upcoming men's march go to themensmarch.com for more information themensmarch.com we'll be right back breaking news and stories coming up next this is a messy family minute from mike and alicia hernan as moms and dads we're pulled in many directions our world is frantic and sometimes chaotic we parents need to take a pause Take some time away to become more intentional in our Catholic family life. We suggest a tool that we call the Family Board Meeting. This meeting's a time for you and your spouse to affirm each other in your giftedness, cast a vision framing what you want your family to look like, and then set concrete goals to make that vision a reality. More than ever, our world needs dynamic Catholic families. That only happens when parents are intentional about building a Catholic family culture within their home. Take time to build a culture that is stronger and more influential on your children than the culture of the world that surrounds them. To help you run this board meeting, we've created a tool for you. A download at our website, MessyFamilyProject.org. Get the worksheet and then work with your spouse to be more intentional in your family life. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. 
And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Praise be to God. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean, and here are your headline news. Epic Times reports Southwest Airlines backs off plan to put unvaccinated employees on unpaid leave. Southwest Airlines told its employees that it will delay a plan that uh, will place workers who are not vaccinated against COVID-19 on unpaid leave if they haven't yet obtained a medical or religious exemption. The Dallas-based carrier confirmed reports about the memo to news outlets on Tuesday saying it will drop the plan. The company stressed it will approve, quote, all valid requests, unquote, for religious or medical accommodations. If it is not granted, Southwest said it will, quote, provide adequate time for an employee to become fully vaccinated while continuing to work and adhering to safety protocols, unquote. CNET reports Facebook reportedly plans to rename itself. Facebook is planning to give itself a new name next week to reflect its focus on the metaverse, The Verge reported on Tuesday. The social media giant CEO Mark Zuckerberg plans to discuss Facebook's rebranding at the company's annual Connect conference October the 28th, but an announcement could come sooner, The Verge reported, citing an unidentified source with direct knowledge of the matter. Like Google's creation of its parent Alphabet in 2015, a rebranded Facebook would likely create an umbrella company that oversees the Facebook app, as well as Instagram, WhatsApp, Oculus, among others. USA Today reported surgeon transplants a pig's kidney into a brain-dead human in groundbreaking surgery. Scientists temporarily attached a pig's kidney to a human body and watched it begin to work, a small step in the decades-long quest to one day use animal organs for life-saving transplants. Pigs have been the most recent research focus to address the organ shortage, but among the hurdles... A sugar in pig cells, foreign to the human body, causes immediate organ rejection. The kidney for this experiment came from a gene-edited animal engineered to eliminate that sugar and avoid an immune system attack. Surgeons attached the pig kidney to a pair of large blood vessels outside the body of a deceased recipient so they could observe it for two days. The kidney did what it was supposed to do, filter waste and produce urine, and didn't trigger a rejection. Bloomberg reports Senate Democrats to unveil scaled-back IRS bank reporting plan. Senate Democrats are set to unveil a proposal requiring that banks report some accounts to the Internal Revenue Service in their latest effort to come up with ways to finance President Joe Biden's economic agenda, according to an aide familiar with the plan. The proposal is the result of weeks of talks between Democrats about how to scale back an idea first floated by Treasury Department officials that would report accounts with at least $600 in deposits or withdrawals to the IRS. House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Richard Neal have said that they want to increase the threshold to $10,000 as well as narrow the proposal to only hit high earners. Democrats are looking at exempting certain payments like payroll direct deposits, mortgage withdrawals, so that fewer accounts would have aggregate inflows and outflows of more than $10,000. And those are your headline news. 
Joining us right now via Zoom chat from the Bush School of Business is Luke Burgess. Uh, Luke has a book out called Wanting the Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life. Uh, Good morning to you, sir. Thank you for your time. Good morning, Joe. Good to be with you. Praise be to God in all things. Uh, you know, the gospel today, I thought, was uh, actually relevant to our conversation. Um, conversating today with Luke about uh, the U.S. capitalist system, our workforce, our desires. But today, our Lord, uh, you know, in the uh, proper to the saints passage of the gospel, instead of the regular one, Matthew sixteen twenty four through 27, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? Um, I think this is a great opportunity to, to sort of refocus what our desires ought to be. So with that said, why don't you jump in and tell us about your book? Sure. So my book was inspired by the late, great Catholic thinker, René Girard. Um, Bishop Barron actually called him a future father of the church. So he's important. He's somebody I think we should know. Started writing in the late 1950s. And his focus was on why humans want what they want. And he realized that we're highly social creatures and we imitate other people. And we even imitate their desires. And he called this mimetic desire. Mimetic's a, a fancy word for imitation. Just think mimic. So we, we mimic the desires of others. And this is an important part of understanding who we are. Who are the models of desire that we're surrounded with? The models of desire in the economy, the models of desire in, in the church. Um, one of my favorite quotes from, you know, Paul the Six is that, you know, modern man, you know, cares less about teachers than, than, than about witnesses and will care about teachers to the extent that they're witnesses, uh, witnesses for desiring great things, right? Desiring holiness, desiring goodness and truth. So, you know, Gerard's, um, fundamental concern was human desire. And, you know, what's more important than that? Because the spiritual life itself is really an unfolding of desire. And hopefully, um, you know, when our, when our time has come, you know, to, to go to the Lord, we're desiring heaven um the desire though shouldn't it be uh placed in the context of of uh, of justice the desire of holiness the desire of god's will for our lives i think too often even as uh, practicing catholics we can sort of focus on those desires but those desires can lead us astray can they not they can absolutely lead us astray i mean do we desire worldly things or we desire um you know heavenly things um, and I, I was, you know, married a couple of months ago and, you know, the, oh, the priest at my wedding, thank you very much. Um, you know, the, the priest sort of, um, uh, uh, talked about my book during his homily and he said, <laughs> my hope for you is that you, de- you, you desire what God desires for you Amen. in your lives. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, cause God is the source and, and summit of, of all of our desires. Um, so, you know, there, there's just so many things right now between social media and, you know, demands in the world and, and fear, uh, through the pandemic that our desires, I think, can get very disoriented. Uh, you know, sort of like a, a compass that has all kinds of metal objects around it that can throw off the true north. Yeah, I think of, um, like, we're talking about capitalist system, right? Uh, the opportunity for free market capitalism to create resources, to create jobs, to provide for people's lively, a livelihood. And yet, even like that can obviously uh, be tainted by disordered passions and and improperly placed desires. And then the other side of that spectrum could be socialism and communism even, and how those obviously affect and uh, attack and assault human dignity on many levels as, as well. As Catholics, we would say the opportunity to have a rightly ordered capitalist system would probably be the best model, wouldn't you say? 
Well, I completely agree. So it's, it's well-ordered desires are, are what we seek uh, as Catholics. Um, the order of Morris, there's a hierarchy of desires, God above all things. And, you know, unfortunately, I think you know, capitalism was really born in the medieval period during the commercial revolution. And there were many Catholic thinkers, specifically the late scholastics that were thinking deeply about, uh, about freedom, about private property, about, uh, you know, human agency and justice. Uh, and, you know, I think right now, you know, we live in a world where it doesn't function as well as it should. Um, crony capitalism is a problem. Um, so, you know, I'm concerned very much with a better way to do business. And uh, I'm part of the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship here at the Bush School. Uh, we talk very much about principled entrepreneurship as a solution to some of the things that do concern people with modern capitalism, you know, building goods that are truly good and services that truly good because the human person is at the heart of the economy. Mm. We are the economy, right? Um, you know, it exists for us. We don't exist for the economy. Um, and oftentimes we get that backwards and we talk about the economy as this abstract thing that's somehow detached from us, but it's really a reflection of our behavior as human beings. I, I'll never forget reading Andreas Wittmer's book, The Pope and the CEO, and he makes it, it's a great book because of how thin it is. It's so easy to read and it's good storytelling too, but the point he makes in that book, Andreas, I'm, I think you know him personally. I work very closely with him. Yeah, Andreas, so. I thought that was the case. And uh, uh, this is a guy who served under JP2 as a Swiss guard. Uh, fascinating story there. But he talks in the book about people being the point. And I think that can be lost. Some, so often we think of the bottom line. We think of income versus expenses. We think of market share. We think of popularity and branding. And all of those are important aspects to running a business, for sure. You can't run a business into the ground and expect to provide for people's needs. But if your business isn't, isn't uh, modeled around the people who are serving in and out of the company, uh, then you, you really miss the focus. It all starts and ends with people. Um, absolutely. You know, we're the heart and soul of the economy. So when we, when I think back to 2008, I just started a company and there was an economic collapse and people are talking about how can we save the, the economy? How can we save these companies? And, you know, we start talking in these very abstracted ways. And sometimes it's easy to forget that there, there are lives here at, at, at stake, right? The dignity of work. Um, people with families. I mean, people make different decisions when they don't feel financially secure. They might not have a child. So, you know, the economy always at the end of the day comes back to the human person. And I think when Pope Francis speaks about the economy, he's, he's always trying to come back to the person who's at the center of it. And Andreas talks a lot about that in his book. I think that's, you just made me think about, you know, the, our response to this pandemic, and one of the biggest criticisms I've had is the solution can't be worse than the problem itself. And we've looked at the impact on people as a result to our choices of, of how to deal with this. The rise in pornography addiction, abuse in the home, uh, suicide rates are off the charts. Um, there's just one statistic after another of problems after problems. Um, and we've seemed to forgot that people are impacted by these solutions and problems and we may we might want to rethink that uh, we're going to go to a break real quick we're going to come back with luke burgess from the bush school of business out of uh, catholic university of america we're talking about uh the u.s economy capitalism and our desires all that's coming up next don't go anywhere catholic drive film we'll be right back often argue they don't need to give reasons for their position because they simply lack a belief in God. 
the assumption being theists alone have the burden of proof. But is this rational? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Atheism can't simply be a lack of belief. Dogs lack belief in God, but that doesn't make dogs atheists. Atheism makes a claim about the world. Namely, God doesn't exist. As such, atheists, along with theists, must shoulder the burden of proof. Even if an atheist says he simply hasn't found any good evidence for God, he would still have to prove why the evidence theists give for God is not good evidence. No matter how an atheist looks at it, he can't sit the sidelines when it comes to defending his position on the question of God's existence. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to God. Luke Burgess is our guest. He has a book out called Wanting, The Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life. Uh, Luke, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Joe. Uh, just before the break, I was uh, giving some examples of how our response to our pandemic is. It seems to have uh, not taken into account the toll that it's had on so many depression rates and all the rest seem to be very high. I think it's also created quite a bit of a contention among us. Putting politics aside for the second, um, it, there's tension and uh, discord and um, just the divisions among our, our people across the political spectrums seems to be at an all-time high. How do you see it? You know, I see that we we don't share a common hierarchy of values, right? Um, you know, for instance, take the value of life, right? The the contention about even being able to visit a, a loved one who's dying in, in the hospital because of the COVID restrictions. So we, as a society, um, you know, we 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 have we all have values, but we don't we don't have values that are ordered or in relationship in the same way. Um, and you know, we as Catholics, I think that's something we need to have a, a conversation about, and we can help the culture sort of order its values. Um, I think better. You know, we have something to say ab- about that. And then I just think that rivalry, um, in, you know, in Gerard's words, mimetic rivalry, where we start to see people as others, we start to see them as our rival, as competing with us, um, as as if everything's a zero sum game in the economy and politics. That's a big problem because we lose sight of of whatever it was we were concerned about in the first place, and we become more concerned with you know winning the argument. Yeah, amen um, to that. One thing that I've kind of noticed a rise in, and uh, we see this a lot. I know Peter Kreef has written on this, and Fulton Sheen's written about it as well. And we talk about the rise of Eastern philosophies and religions, namely like Buddhism is very much uh, becoming in vogue in the modern world. And the Buddhist system of thought is essentially that desire leads to suffering, and suffering is bad. Therefore, we have to remove desire. How, what is the Catholic take on this? Because I know, you know, Aquinas would say something along the lines of, we have to not get rid of desire, but instead rightly order our desires. So what say you? 
Yeah, I mean, I I want to desire more, not less. I want to I want to desire holiness and, and God and truth more. So in that sense, um, you know, we actually have a view that it's radically different than that. Um, you know, getting rid of desire often just leads to depression. I mean, it's a symptom and sign um, of depression and loneliness when you don't want anything at all. You don't desire anything. Um, so that then that's a concern. So we want to have well ordered desires. Um, and, you know, often people are very confused about their desires today, um, you know, especially adolescents, social media models, a million different desires around the clock to all of us. Uh, so it's, it's more um, important than ever to understand why we want the things that we want and not necessarily take our desires for granted. Luke Burgess is our guest. I'm trying to post some links to, uh, to the books in our, our chat right here. So I'm a little bit distracted, but I, I want to talk go- a little bit more about the desires. Um, I think it's super important because, again, as we said in the last segment, I really feel like too often we misplace our desires, even as Catholics, uh, let alone uh, non-Catholic Christians or others. And we can focus on the world, the flesh, and the devil, the here and the now. We can we can look through the lens of this world. So I, just think, take discernment for an example, discernment of vocation. I was having a great conversation yesterday with my daughter about her, what she is, feels God's calling her to and how she is trying to discern that process. I've run into a lot of families who feel like once they get past, is my child called to religious or priestly life? Uh, then I guess we're good to go. We can, you know, everything is open to us at that point. It's all of, uh, we can, you know, the sky's the limit kind of thing, as if God doesn't have an opinion on someone's life who is not religious or a priest, apparently, you know. Um, and I find that very odd that sometimes, without even thinking or in- being intentional, we take on a worldly lens versus the lens of natural law, let alone the lens of our Catholic faith. Yes, I mean, I think it's it's real. It's tragic to reduce um, the idea of vocation to state in life. It's even um, not the fullness of vocation to think of it in terms of your work. Uh, each of us has a personal, unrepeatable calling, and we're called by name in the specific circumstances in which we're placed to do something in this world that that you know really nobody else can do. Uh, and if we don't do that thing, you know, it's lost to the world forever. Even a priest or religious has has a unique personal vocation within their state of life. And the same is true for every layperson. And I think recovering, and this is a very Catholic idea. Um, you know, Pope Benedict spoke a lot about, you know, personal project from God for every single person. And I think recovering that idea of personal vocation uh, will lead to human flourishing, will lead to a better sense of purpose. People are suffering for, you know, for not understanding their purpose, even if their state in life is, is, is have been chosen. So, you know, that's something that's deeply critical to me. And, and I wrote a book about that actually called Unrepeatable with my good friend, Dr. Joshua Miller. Uh, Adrian, do you have a question? Uh, yes. So one thing I was uh, noting, because uh, we studied a little bit of Rene Girard when I was at university. And one thing that kind of struck me about Rene Girard is he would talk about often the kind of like the, the desire for something that you can't attain. And, uh, I what this kind of like wraps back into talking about the capitalist system, the ec- economics. Whenever we kind of that's the, kind of the whole means of advertising is it tries to tell show you people wanting something or des- or having something that you do not have, and so I it feels like this is a manipulative tactic in the, in marketing, but then also something that keeps uh, tugging at us in our daily lives whenever we're just doing our normal things. So how does that exactly does that work according to Rene Girard? 
Well, Girard said that all desire is metaphysical. It's not to get too philosophical, but by, by saying that all desire is metaphysical, he meant that all desire is a desire for being. It's a desire for the fullness of being. And, you know, we know that that can only be fulfilled in God, right? In that relationship with God himself, who is the fullness of being. So Girard was making a deeply theological statement when he said that all desire is metaphysical. And what the advertising industry knows is that they don't need to show us the product they want us to buy. They need to show us somebody who we want to be wanting the product. And that's mimetic desire. So, you know, we're, we're, we are seeking the fullness of being. And we think that the can of Coke or the, the, the new MacBook will somehow give us this better, you know, quality of being, something that we lack. So it's actually feeding off of our sense of inadequacy, our sense of lack. And we seek the, the fulfillment that we can only find in God in all of these other things, these material things. Is, is that why that we have such a need and a desire for the saints as models of holiness and not just abstract holiness like we can study the virtues abstractly but it's like it's something else entirely when you read the life of saint Gemma galgani or you read the life of saint vincent ferrer and you're like wow i i want to imitate that that life yeah and it's not the um the the style of the person or are their actions necessarily that we're imitating it's the imitation of their desire because the one thing that all saints have in common is a deep desire and love of god so if saint francis of assisi is a model uh for me he's a model of desire it doesn't mean that i need to dress in a brown robe and and you know go move to italy um, and do everything that he did. That's his personal vocation. I might be called to be a Franciscan, but he, what the thing that he models the most to me is just a burning love for God. And that might manifest itself in me in a very different way than it did in him. Let's turn back to uh, business and business ethics. How do we, so then how do you lay out some principles for entrepreneurs who are starting uh, businesses? And I encourage Catholics to, to get involved at, all levels of society to include entrepreneurship, the business, but there is something called the hustle culture that uh, pervades that community where it becomes uh, someone who works 80 hours a week, drives themselves to no end, and yet our, our, our faith, our God himself told us that we must keep everything in perspective and priority and even rest uh, describing in, himself. in him. <laughs> Get back to work, Adrian. Uh, <laughs> but So lay out some principles in the next couple of minutes we have left with you. Uh, from this perspective of desire, the Catholic Church teaching and business. Sure. I was part of the hustle culture for my whole 20s. I, I co-founded several companies and I was totally burned out. And I, I had a reconversion in my late 20s. And the reason um, that I became an entrepreneur in the first place was um, to, to build um, a healthier culture, um, to build a healthy human ecology within, you know, within the companies that I started. Um, and then I, I very quickly lost sight of that because the hustle culture is so strong. Uh, it took me a long time to sort of orient myself in the right way. So I, I, I know that it's possible because I've experienced it, that, that there is a principled Catholic way to be in business, to create real human value in the world, to create win-win solutions and not think of everything as a zero-sum game, um, to always think like an entrepreneur. You know, you don't have to start a company to think like an entrepreneur, to find creative solutions 
solutions to serious human problems like poverty. Um, you know, thinking like an entrepreneur means you take ownership and responsibility. Uh, you think of yourself as, as serving others. I mean, the economy only works. The heart of the economy, the question that sort of animates it is, how may I help you? How may I serve you? Somebody, an entrepreneur who isn't thinking about how they can serve other people uh, will not be in business for very long because they're not doing anything that anybody else wants. So at its best, at its best, capitalism and entrepreneurship actually is other focused and, and should engender a focus on the other and people. What sources would you recommend those that are uh, entrepreneurs or they're looking to start their own businesses? Um, besides, of course, your book, uh, what else would you recommend? Well, I, I would recommend, um, you know, come talk to us at the Sioka Center for Principled Entrepreneurship at the university. Um, this is what we do. This is, this is our concern, is trying to make entrepreneurship more principled and provide a Catholic vision of what it can be. And the Catholic Church used to be one of the, the, the greatest sources of, of innovation in the world in the Renaissance. And, you know, we believe that we can recover that, right? It's, it's proper place. Um, and, you know, uh, my, my colleague, Andreas Widmer is a great book called the Pope and the CEO, where he gets into all of these things. Yeah. I like that book quite a bit. I did link to it in, uh, in the Facebook chat there, but Luke Burgess, thank you for your time today. We're very grateful to you. God bless you and God love you and have a great day. Thanks, Joe. God bless. All right. That is going to do it for hour number one of Catholic Drive Time. Thank you all for joining us for our conversations and our, the news and everything else. If you can, join us in the next hour. We will have a good news story to share with you and a guest in the what's gonna, in the after show of the next hour. So that's the second half of the next hour. Uh, we're going to talk to the uh, Mexican equivalent of Abby Johnson, a, a whistleblower at Planned Parenthood. That's coming up in the next hour, plus a good news story, plus the game show and so much more. You can hang out with us if you want to on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. That's grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Otherwise, we'll see you back here tomorrow. We're going to talk more about the economy and inflation and so much more with Mike from RTF. 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern for Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. friend asked me why Catholics have crucifixes in our churches. Don't we believe Jesus has risen? Why do we keep him on the cross? Well, first of all, you want to check out 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. Why does Paul preach Christ crucified? Doesn't he know Jesus has been raised from the dead? Well, of course he does. But he knows that it is through the power of the crucified Christ on the cross that the bonds of sin and death are broken. As he says in verse 24, Christ crucified is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Again, didn't Paul know that Jesus had risen from the dead? Well, of course he did. Paul preaches Christ crucified because an empty cross has no power. 
The cross that bears the beaten, battered, and bloodied body of Jesus Christ, however, that cross is the power of God. So we keep Jesus on the cross because we too preach Christ crucified. And the crucifix reminds us not only of God's power, but also his love for us, giving his only begotten son up for death and suffering. Also, here in this life, we do not share so much in the glory of the resurrection as we do in the suffering of Jesus on the cross. After all, we must take up our cross daily if we are to follow Jesus, as it says in Luke 9, verse 23. And we must die with Christ in order to live with him, as Romans 6, 8 tells us. Where did Christ die? On the cross. One other passage to keep in mind is Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Did you catch that? Jesus was publicly portrayed before their eyes as being crucified. Sounds kind of like they may have been looking at a crucifix, doesn't it? A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. It is Wednesday. You are halfway to the weekend. How do you feel? Hopefully you're feeling good. Hopefully you got a great weekend ahead of you, and praise be to God for it. It's that time of year. The weather tends to be quite nice. Blue skies, sunshine, cooler weather, lower humidity, at least in our part of the swamp anyway. But uh, I love this time of year. It makes me almost want to watch football. I'm talking it's that good. It's almost that good. Of course, I avoid the... Wokeness, but that's another story for another day. This hour, we're going to have a great time. We're going to share with you a good news story. Praise be to God. We're going to have Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day. We're going to play the game Fear and Trembling. We have three Catholic trivia questions that you you don't even need to know the answers to. You could win without knowing a single correct answer. It's that much fun. Your opportunity to play that game and get in on the prize drawing is coming up at 15 past. There's a phone number you're going to have to call to be our contestant. It is listed on our website. Uh, you can go there right now and get it. Call in, sit on hold. You can do that. Or you can wait for me to give you the phone number at 15 past. But that's coming up. By the way, the website is grnonline.com forward slash cdt. That's grnonline.com forward slash cdt. By the way, praise be to God, I've been invited to uh, give a talk at the National Men's March to End Abortion on Monday, November the 15th in Baltimore. So I'm going to be there. If you are in the, if you're listening on WMET this morning in the mighty Washington, D.C. area, boy, would I love to hang out with you on November the 15th. So you are invited. All men are invited. Bring your sons, if you can, uh, to the National Men's March to End Abortion again, Monday, November the 15th in Baltimore. You can find the details, address, all that information 
at themensmarch.com. That's themensmarch.com. I would encourage you to share that widely with your friends. I'd be grateful to you. Speaking of uh, sharing widely, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Good morning. Good morning. Did you just say that? Just call me wide. Um, was that out loud? I think I think you just called me. I back. have a note here that says, uh, "Be careful about inside voice versus outside oh, yeah. voice." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, even though Joe said that I am widely, uh, <laughs> it is still good to be here. It is still in good spite to be here. of it all, despite the fact <laughs> that not because of Joe's calling me widely, but despite uh, Joe calling me widely, in spite of, I, you meant in still, spite of, still, not despite, in spite, in spite. In spite of English, uh, no, I have, still I have no spite, no spite at all, <laughs> and that's uh, and uh, that nonetheless, it's still good to be here. Praise nonetheless, God. that should be a T-shirt. Can we get that on a T-shirt? I, should, I, I have a couple of T-shirt <laughs> ideas. It's good to be here. Will be one, yes. uh, and the other one will be uh, I have opinions, <laughs> and the back would say just ask. We uh, should. So there you go. Maybe we should de- seriously develop a, a line of T-shirts with these slogans for our CDT insiders. <laughs> that would be hilarious. In spite of it all, <laughs> mm-hmm. I have opinions. That's uh, that. That is so very true. Speaking of opinions, uh, Janice is here. Good morning to you, Janice. Good morning, Joe. Do you have an opinion? I uh, I have a comment. Uh, oh, okay. I just wanted to say I, I was listening to Luke, Luke Burgess's talk, and mm-hmm. I, I really loved mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it was really insightful. Uh, really uh, interesting fact. I actually um, he spoke about Andreas Whitmer and. Uh, him and his wife, uh, we were actually, uh, me and some friends were part of the same fitness group with him. Sure. And we actually, I used to work out with Andreas every morning. He's um, 10 foot tall, right? Yeah, he's 10 yeah. foot tall. Yeah, yeah we he's used, massive. Yeah, him and his wife, we would go uh, run 5Ks together. Every, he may be Goliath. I'm not even sure. Yeah, he's super tall. Yeah. <laughs> and his wife is actually my height. Really? Uh, she's That's super, awkward. she's super tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, he's a great guy. I yeah, love Andreas. I met him, I met him one time. I, he and I were speaking at the uh, men's conference in uh, back in, I think it was 2013, if I'm not mistaken, in San Antonio, and he gave me a, an autographed copy of his book. We had a great co- conversation, and I was able to interview him on the show, so praise be to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, great book, The Pope and the CEO. Well, at any rate, we are going to have a great hour this hour. As I said, we're going to jump into a good news story. We have a guest uh, coming up in the after show today uh, who is essentially the uh, Abby Johnson version of in Mexico, uh, whistleblower Planned Parenthood. And I'm going to share a little bit of her story coming up right here in a moment. Then we'll do Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day, play our game, and a lot more. So let's dive in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, it, your good news story. We cover the bad news or the heavier news in the first hour. There's two segments there. And in this hour, we like to do something a little bit more, let's just say, upbeat. Uh, National Catholic Register reports Planned Parenthood whistleblower turned Hispanic pro-life leader details facility corruption, intimidation. Myra Rodriguez worked for Planned Parenthood for 17 years. It was in charge of three facilities. In 2016, the abortion provider recognized her as Employee of the Year. Shortly thereafter, she would become one of the most outspoken pro-life advocates in the Hispanic community. During her tenure with Planned Parenthood, Rodriguez said she would 
witness falsehoods of abortion records that were being falsified, serious complications from abortions, and experienced intimidation based upon false accusations threatening her immigration status after Rodriguez indicated she would report a doctor at the facility she directed who botched an abortion on a 19-year-old girl and then falsified the report. With her experience working in the shadow of the largest abortion company in the world, Rodriguez warns that while those who profit from these practices say that it, quote, is easy, it is the best solution, when in reality it brings many harmful consequences to women, unquote. She goes, she, she goes on to say, quote, actually, abortion does not guarantee absolutely anything. No, it leaves women destroyed for life with scars on their uterus, and perhaps they do not lose their lives, but they do lose many, many more things, such as peace, emotional and mental health. Psychologically, they are undone, unquote, she said. This realization, when combined with the pressures that he experienced as a whistleblower, led her to rethink abortion in the industry and what abortion does to women. Rodriguez, a Mexican national, said she is hopeful that Roe v. Wade, the 1973 U.S. Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion nationwide, can be overturned by the upcoming Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case uh, pertaining to Mississippi's ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy because legal abortion has, quote, never been good for Hispanic women, unquote. The former Planned Parent Employee of the Year noted, quote, Once you give women a true option, they will choose not to have an abortion, unquote. That is good news, praise be to God. And we're going to talk to Myra coming up at 30 past this hour on our live video feed. And that is your good news story for today. The saint of the day is St. John Cantius. He was born in Kenty, Poland in Ju on June 24th, 1390. He's uh, actually one of my favorite saints. At the age of 23, he registered for the studies at the Jagiellonian University, which I visited when I went to Poland a couple years ago, in Krakow. And this was the same university in which Nicholas Copernicus would study 80 years later. John would become a doctor of philosophy in 1418, and then he began his studies in theology, taking on the directorship of the university's theology department. John spent many of his free hours hand-copying manuscripts of the Holy Scriptures, theological tracts, and other scholarly work. Although only 26 volumes have survived to our time, their total over 18,000 pages is a testament to his exceptional industriousness. He became well-known among the city's residents for his generosity and compassion toward the poor. He felt a special affinity toward those needy students at the university. He helped care for their spiritual, physical, and academic needs. Whether it was in the classroom or in the pulpit, everyone knew him as a staunch defender of the faith and enemy of heretics. By the time the master from Kenty died, the people in Krakow already considered him a very holy man, and his opinion was wholly justified by the evidence of numerous favors and miracles attributed to John's intercession, beginning immediately following his death. Before long, John from Kenty became known widely through Europe, drawing pilgrims from many countries to his tomb at the university's chapel, St. Anne, which I've had the privilege of praying at, praise be to God. He died on December 24th, 1473, and was canonized. Uh, his process of beatification did not begin until 150 years later. Finally, in 1676, Pope Clement XIII declared him a saint. St. John Cantius pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, 
If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay every man for what he has done. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. St. Chrysostom would say, And because malefactors often suffer grievous things, that you should not suppose that simply to suffer evil is enough. He adds the reason of suffering when he says, And follow me. For his sake you are to endure all and to learn his other virtues. For this is to follow Christ aright, to be diligent in the practice of virtues and to suffer all things for his sake. Close quote. St. Chrysostom, pray for us. Adrian, what did you find? Yes, there's so much here as usual. And uh, one thing to note is Cornelius Lapide points out the fact that this passage is repeated in Luke. And what's the difference here And from Luke and Matthew? Matthew, he says, if any man would come after me, let me, uh, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whereas Luke, he adds one word to it. He says, let's take up our cross daily to signify that every day and sometimes every hour, some trouble will come to everyone which he ought to bear bravely and patiently, and that throughout his whole life and thus must everyone live upon the cross and die upon the cross with Christ. This is what Cornelius Lapide is saying here, is that it is important to remember we must take up our cross, but not just daily, but even hourly, because the crosses will come throughout the day, throughout your life, every single day of our life. And what must we do every time this adversity comes? Should we just like get on Twitter and start complaining about it? Should we start uh, making a, a whole scene about it? No, we should have the disposition of our Lord. What did our Lord do when he was bearing on his cross? Well, yes, of course he prayed, you know, Lord, take this from me. I don't want this cross. I don't want this chalice. Take this from me. But what ultimately does our Lord do? He takes the chalice. He drinks from the chalice and he says, not my will be done, but your will be done, Father. And so what happens here? Our Lord bears wrongs patiently. He takes on these things and he uh, carries out the task that he does not want to do. So what goes on, Saint, or not Saint, I keep canonizing Cornelius Lapide. He someone needs to canonize him, so I stop making this mistake. Uh, Saint Jerome says, who is crucified to the world, to whom also the world is crucified, who follows a crucified Lord. What does that mean? That means if we are to follow Christ, we cannot be conformed to him unless we take up the cross ourselves and be crucified. Cornelius Lapide says this cross is three or four things rather. One, persecution and martyrdom. Two, any affliction or tribulation sent by God. Three, temptations of the devil permitted by God. And that is for our probation and humiliation to increase our reward. And fourth, a self-denial and a mortification of our lusts. So that's the purpose of, of our cross. So let's love our cross. Let's kiss our cross. That's why we venerate the Holy Cross, because it's a sign of our salvation. And it is what sanctifies us and brings us to the heavenly kingdom, lest we lose our own soul. All right. Praise be to God. Uh, great uh, insight there from Cornelius Lapide, which, by the way, you can, uh, you can get his commentary along with all the other commentaries that we reference in, uh, in our 
reflections on the Gospels from Verboom, verboom.com forward slash GRN, which generously gives us a great tool, links everything together, making it super easy to get to that super fast. Uh, thank you again, Verboom, verboom.com forward slash GRN. Check that out today. All right, we're going to go to a break. We're going to come back, and it's time to play our game show, Fear and Trembling, where you, my dear listener, if you've not played this game before, it's easy, it's fun. You don't need to know the answers to win, but you do need to call. The phone number is 877-757-9424. The first caller gets to be the contestant, so call right now. Be the first caller at 877-757-9424. Your chance to win prizes is coming up at 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Fear and Trembling is coming up next. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Protestants like to use James 2, 10 through 11 against the Catholic doctrine of mortal and venial sin. Because James says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. But James can't be denying the doctrine of mortal and venial sin because in 1.15 he affirms it saying that sin in its beginning stages doesn't bring death, venial sin, whereas it does in its more mature stages, mortal sin. The point James is making in James 2.10-11 is that we must keep all the commandments in order to avoid incurring the guilt of transgressing the law. We can't say to the Lord on Judgment Day, Lord, I only broke one commandment but kept the other nine. So, James 2, 10-11 is simply a misfire in trying to take down the Catholic belief of mortal and venial sin. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. For 2,000 years, we've helped the poor and comforted the sick. We've educated generations of children, developed the scientific method and college system. We support marriage and human life. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible. We are the Catholic Church. With over one billion in our family, sharing in the fullness of Christian faith in the church started by Jesus. If you've been away, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome home. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. 877-757-9424. Phone lines are wide open. Call right now at 877-757-9424. If you tried calling a minute ago, we all Adrian had to reboot the phone. So try again right now, 877-757-9424. That phone number is 877 877- 
757-9424. The first caller gets to be our contestant. And uh, let me just tell you, here is the deal. Here's how this game works. I have three Catholic trivia questions in my hand, uh, but uh, I don't ask the caller the question. So the caller doesn't even need to know the answers to possibly win the game. They can win and not know a single correct answer. That's how much fun it is. So dial right now, 877-757-9424. Be our contestant. 877-757-9424. And the reason why is because instead of asking the caller, I'm going to ask Janice and I'm going to ask Adrian. One of them will be right and the other will be wrong. And the caller will have 15 seconds on the clock to make a decision. Whom do they trust more? Do they trust Janice? Do they trust Adrian? And then every right answer goes into the coffee cup of Divine Providence to win this week's prize. That phone number, phone lines are wide open at 877-757-9424. This week's prize is sponsored by Ardent Draws by Rosalie. Uh, She's on Instagram, ardent.draws. You can find her there. You can also go to her website, ardentbyrosalie.com, a watercolor artist, and she has generously donated an an 8 by 10 inch portrait of John Paul II, and I believe this is a watercolor. It's a very beautiful image that uh, Rosalie has generously given to us to give to one of you this week. So if you are a fan of uh, of St. John Paul II, this might be a great opportunity for you to get in on this prize drawing today. So that's the deal. Thank you, Ardent Draws by Rosalie. One more time, their website is ardentbyrosalie.com. Praise be to God. Now, uh, I do have a couple of secret hidden agenda items. I, I don't like to tell people about this. I like to keep this just between us. But as long as you promise not to share this information, I'll be happy to tell you. Uh, Number one, we like to teach the faith, so we look for teachable moments in the questions. And number two, we like to have a great time, and our colors tend to be a lot of fun. And then, of course, we give out prizes, which makes this kind of a winner for everybody involved. But thank you, everybody who did call in. Praise God, we had a bunch of calls uh, come through. But let's go to uh, Donna, good morning to you. Thank you for being a part of our program. Good morning. Praise be to God, Donna. Where are you from? McKinney, Texas. McKinney, Texas. It's up in the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Metroplex, correct? Yes, it is. Are you enjoying your fall weather up there? I love it. Do you guys, do you guys get like four seasons? Do, do the leaves turn colors up there? Uh, a little bit. A li- but it's not as beautiful as in the, as in the east. Yeah, that's true. I lived in New Hampshire for 10 years, and it is glorious at the peak of uh, the color, the fall colors. But nonetheless, it's still beautiful when the weather is uh, cool and the skies are blue, right? Yes. Amen. Now, where do you go to church there, uh, Donna? St. Gabriel. St. Gabriel's wonderful. Praise God. Are you familiar with our game? Do you know how the rules work? I am. All right. So you are prepared to listen carefully to the trickiness of Janice and Adrian then? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, because I would say it's almost an equal split uh, on trickiness, but uh, I don't know if you have a a particular opinion on that, but it seems like either one could throw you a curveball at any moment. You just got to carefully listen. Let's jump into the game. We're going to start with Janice, as is our custom. Janice, can you tell me, or rather, are you ready? Yes, uh, I'm ready. Turning the mic on. <laughs> are, sure? are, yes. you, are, are you sure? Are you sure? Yes, mm, I am. Okay, mm-hmm. here we go. Where is it stated 
that a man was created in the image and likeness of God. Oh, that's a good one. I actually love this book in the Bible. Really? Uh, it's one of my mm-hmm. favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, Genesis. Oh, wow. So Genesis, okay. uh, the book the book of Genesis talks about us being called, us being made in the image and likeness of God. It's the first book in the Bible. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's just see what Adrian has to say. Adrian, can you tell me, where is it stated that a man was created in the image and likeness of God? Yes, that would be in Laudato Si for Francis' really? document. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's where it's stated. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Um, somewhat m- newer, I would argue. Right. Yeah, Laudato Si, his uh, encyclical on the environment talks yeah. about humans, Got it. man being made in the image and likeness okay. of God. Okay, okay. Well, uh, Donna, let me summarize for you. Uh, Adrian seems to think it's Laudato Si, whereas uh, Janice seems to think it was Genesis. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? And where is my dub button? What say you, Donna? I don't know what you mean. I'm going with Janice. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I, that, yes. I, I, Sur- you don't, don't want to switch? <laughs> Survey <laughs> says... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> it was I don't know. Even, what he- not even a curveball. It was like a softball. It was like, wow. Like... There you go, Adrian. Ladato C. Why didn't you go with a Morse Laetitia? That would have been a more interesting answer, I would argue. Because uh, reasons. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a first hour topic. Uh, you know, it's fun because uh, it's in fact in the very first chapter of the very first first book of Holy Scripture in Genesis that we are made in God's image and likeness. So praise be to God for that. Well done, Donna. You are in the coffee cup of divine providence. Woo-hoo! We, let's see if we can't double your chances now and go to the next question. We'll start with Adrian. Now, this that's, is a fun question. That's dangerous. This is a question that that pertains to every single suburban parish on planet Earth. Please pay attention. Here we go. Here we go. I'm ready. What two conditions permit a Catholic to gamble without sitting? What two conditions permit a Catholic to gamble without committing a sin? Yes. Yeah, that would be... You have to have cheating be absent. So no cheating allowed. No cheating allowed. And money that state, money that you're betting, cannot be required to support yourself or your family. Sounds like no fun. I, well, I don't make the rules. Okay, so no cheating and the money can't be, like, important for livelihood, right. paying has the to rent. Be, has to be disposable. food income. on the table. has to be completely disposable. Exactly. Okay, those are your two conditions. Uh, Janice, can you tell me? What two conditions permit a Catholic to gamble without committing a sin? Well, that's a tricky question because I've always been told that gambling is playing out a sin. Straight always. up. Um, so there's no redemption for gambling. It's um, Wow. Unfortunately, mm. it's, it's uh, considered a sin to gamble. What about bingos at, at parish halls all across our country? Well, that's not a gamble. That's a game. Casino nights? There's black, <laughs> blackjack tables at casino nights for, at parish halls all across our country. I don't know. I mean, well, church, churches do I'm some talking, things they're not supposed to do I'm all talking the time. About, like, yeah, so you, gambling your answer is straight money. up no. Yes, it's, okay. it's officially so a sin. There are no two conditions in your opinion. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Donna, here's the deal. Janice says that it's it's absolutely not allowed. Whereas Adrian says, can't be cheating and the money has to be completely disposable. 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Donna, what say you? I'm going to go with Janice. 
Are you sure? Oh, it's been a while no. since I hit that button. I'm so sorry. I gotta just just because it's been a while. I gotta oh. I gotta do it again. Sorry. Oh. Well, I'm sorry, Donna. But in fact, uh, yeah, there are two conditions, and they are cheating. Can't you can be absolutely no cheating. And then, of course, the money must be completely disposable. You know, uh, all things in proportion, kind of thing. You know, cheeseburgers are great. But that second cheeseburger is probably not good for me. But know? the good news is you can still go to Bingo Night. <laughs> you still can't. Or Casino Nights, which I've seen many times. Okay, there you go. Let's, I still think we can get you in this cup twice. Let's go back to Janice. Janice, can you tell me which pope decreed that women must cover their heads in church? That was St. Linus. St. Linus wow. talked... Um, uh, I read a book about head co- coverings, and he, they talked about St. Linus. Isn't his name in, uh, in part of the canon of Mass? I'm pretty sure it is, isn't it? St. Uh, Linus? Is that him, or is it a different Linus? Well, Pope Right Saint, before Cletus? Pope St. Linus. Um, I'm not sure. Mm, yeah. Okay, oh, let's see what Adrian says. <laughs> uh, Adrian, can you tell me which Pope decreed that women must cover their heads in church... Yeah, that was St. Paul. Was it? Yeah. Um, St. Paul was a pope. Um, well, I guess okay. when you put it that way. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Tricky question, Donna, but let me summarize for you. Adrian seems to think it was St. Paul, whereas Janice seems to think it was St. Linus. It's a tricky question, but nonetheless, 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Donna, what say you? I'm going to stay with Janice. After the last time, are you sure? She got it. She got it. (laughs) (laughs) Joe's trying to trick you. St. Paul. (laughs) St. Paul. Well, St. Paul did say it. He's just not a pope. He did die in Rome. (laughs) And he he did say that women should cover their heads in church. He did. It's true. It's true. But But St. Linus is the second pope right after Peter. Right. Isn't isn't that fascinating? Second pope. Uh, And I always like the fact that you hear Cletus there. I always think... I always think Dukes of Hazard when I hear Cletus, but uh, that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> Donna, congratulations. You're in for two. You could win. Praise Woo-hoo! be to God. If it be God's will, your name might come out of the coffee cup at Divine Providence on Friday, so you'll have to tune in for that. But we're grateful to you for being such a good sport and hanging out with us. Uh, God love you. We're going to put you on hold, but thanks again for being on. Thank you. God bless you. All right. God bless you, too. Praise be to Jesus. Uh, that is going to do it for... The radio side of our show, we're about to jump into a conversation uh, with uh, the Mexican version of Abby Johnson. Myra Rodriguez was a whistleblower against Planned Parenthood, and she's going to jump on the line with us here in a few minutes in the after show to conversate about her journey becoming pro-life. So if you want to hang out with us, you can do so on our live video feed, which is all linked up at grnonline.com forward slash cdt grnonline.com forward slash cdt. God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.
Welcome to the After Show Catholic Drive Time, where we typically get more casual about our conversation. And we talk about whatever you want to talk about. We're expecting a guest here at any moment to jump on with us, Myra Rodriguez, Planned Parenthood whistleblower. And when she jumps on, we're going to jump into a conversation, which we're going to record and play at a future date next week. So when she jumps on, we're going to be doing that. Uh, in the meantime, I just want to thank everybody for hanging out with us today. The Burrier family, good morning to you. And Becky Dominguez, good morning to you. Praise be to God. It's good to see you. Paul from Buffalo, my friend, good to see you. Hanging out with us on YouTube today. Um, also see Tammy over there and uh, Mary Barone. Clarissa, good morning to you. Praise be to God. Um, Michelle Vaughn, good morning. Eric Rodriguez, good morning. Patty, good to hang out with you guys today. Uh, before our guest hops on real quick, I just wanted to point out Linus is oh, the only teaching we have from Pope Linus is <laughs> that women should cover their heads in church. <laughs> so I yeah. thought that was funny. Yeah, praise be to God. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to... See, Buddy, of course, Buddy, we mentioned Buddy in the first hour. We read his comments on uh, on the whole train situation in Philadelphia, which drives me absolutely mad. Good morning to you, Buddy. Lori, good morning. Maureen, good morning. Jesus and Josh and Sita and Nicola and Don, Christopher Chance, Gloria, good morning to you all. Praise be to God. Weber's World, good morning. And Mike, good morning to you. I'm not sure if my, Sci-Fi Mike's over there, but good morning to you as well over on Odyssey.com. Praise be to God. Joining us via Zoom chat right now is uh, Myra Rodriguez, a former Planned Parenthood whistleblower turned Hispanic pro-life leader. Praise be to God. Good morning to you, Myra. You got Good morning. Un- How yeah. are you? Praise be to God. I am alive and that counts. How are you? I'm alive too and we're here <laughs> and we're fighting for the unborn, right? Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. So let's talk about your story. Uh, Planned Parenthood whistleblower, you're from Mexico. Tell us... Uh, 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 but how did you get involved with Planned Parenthood? You worked for them for a long time. You were Employee of the Year. Tell us about the story. Well, yes. So let's start with saying that I was born in Mexico City. I moved to the United States when I was only 18 years of age with a tourist visa. And then after that, you know, not having a working visa, you know, you have limitations, right? And I did like the healthcare. So then one day my friend was like, you know, Planned will hire you. They don't care, right? They don't care <laughs> about the work, the work permit, right? Wow. And and they help women, right? That's what she said. And then um, I got there, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I knew hardly anything about Planned Parenthood, but they were helping women, right? I remember one question, which was, so what do you think about abortion? And I said, well, I wouldn't have one. I'm Catholic, raised Catholic, born Catholic from Mexico City. You can imagine Our Lady of Guadalupe, right? It's our patroness. So. Um, I was like, I wouldn't have one, but if someone else does, that's her body and that's her choice. A phrase that I learned here in high school, right? In my high school in Scottsdale, Arizona. So uh, I started working for them in non-abortion clinics and I was defending them. I truly believe in their mission. I truly believe that they were helping women, mm. you know, and I was a devoted employee and loyal and I worked harder than anyone because they opened the door to the American dream for me, right? I mean, who else gave... Um, undocumented person the the chance to work in what they always dream of which was the medical field and i know what i said when i say what they always dream on it's not like we dream of working for an abortion clinic you know right an abortion center but it was to help women you know in the medical field and i was working mostly in clinics that did uh, preventive care right i mean i was so loyal to them that they sent me in 2017 if you recall when trump was about to remove title from them 
uh, a bunch of people went uh, lobbying in Congress in D.C. And I was there with Cecile Richards, you know, because that's how loyal I was. They chose me to go there to fight for Title Ten, which was the government assistance program that they received. And then I was so loyal that they gave me Employee of the Year Award in 2016. And after that, it came Myra. You're ready to be the director of the, of the abortion clinic, the biggest abortion clinic in the state of Arizona. And that's where my story began. That's how I got to Plum Park. Wow, that's where your story begins. Oh, that's a heck of a ride just to get to that point. I could imagine, though, uh, that there there was some uh, difficulty internally, uh, emotionally, maybe spiritually or psychologically, even at this stage of your journey uh, with participating in, in abortion. Um, you must have seen the effect of abortion on these, on these women that are coming in and out of these clinics. You know, when you're working in these centers, it's very easy to excuse everything, right? I got to see women before being the director of the abortion clinic. I got to see the women either before or after the abortion, right? So it's very easy to excuse whatever you see Mm. to something else, right? Until you're there. I I can promise you whatever. I mean, this is why so many people are so blindsided by Planned Parenthood and other abortionists, because it's very hard to see the truth unless you're inside. Right. So when I became the director of the abortion clinic and I started seeing what everyone else was talking about, and I was like, no, no, that's not true. Right. Because they tell you that, right. Something comes up on the news. The platform is very quick to send their employees a memo saying, whatever you hear is not true. We're telling you the truth. Right. Just trust us. Right. So then you're like, oh, okay. Was it true? Was I blind? Yes, of course. I'm justifying myself that I was blindsided because I was being selfish. You know, I had the American dream. I had a job, I had um, uh, medical benefits, I have other benefits I couldn't have without being there, right? So in a way, it's like you don't want to see what you shouldn't see, so then that way you're comfortable working there, right? But then I became the director of abortion clinic, and I saw what? The complications go under the rug. The abortion is that didn't care for women, right? That to him, it was just a business. It was just numbers. It was just, I have to see 35 to 40 patients a day, and in 15 minutes each patient, right? Less than even a dentist takes to tell you which molar he should take out, right? Wow. The dentist will take longer explaining you what tooth he should remove than the abortion is removing a baby from the womb. So in this case, you know, I start seeing the perforations go unreported. And why? Why is that so important? I always make sure that people understand why is it so important for a doctor to report the complications? Because this is where statistics come from, you know? Our statistics come from the responsibility of these doctors, scientists, whatever, reporting. So we know how bad abortion can be to women. If they're not reporting them, this is why you hear people say, statistics says that only these many women get hurt, right? Well, they're not being reported. And then I saw a statutory rate, right? Minors go pregnant by adults and not being reported. And I reported all this, you know, I was like, okay, I'm the loyal manager, you know, they want me to catch this, right? Like, maybe they don't know he's doing this, right? So I have to speak up, I have to tell them. Mm. Yeah, that did not go well. Um, We're talking with Myra Rodriguez. She's a former Planned Parenthood uh, clinic manager, employee of the year, and a whistleblower against Planned Parenthood. I want to reiterate something you just said, Myra, uh, about how you felt the need to ensure that all perforations were reported. Um, We have seen many times, especially like where we are here in our studio, is just down the street from the largest abortion clinic 
in the United States for sure. Some say the Western Hemisphere and rivals the largest in the world. Um, we've seen ambulances show up at that door on the back door because they don't want anybody seeing it or press re- reporting it. And they've had to uh, get Freedom of Information Act uh, filed to get the copies of the 911 calls. And these women go in there for abortions and they're fighting for their lives coming out because of these perforations. How often did that occur in your time as Planned Parenthood clinic manager? Daily. Daily. This was happening daily. And, and, and let me explain to you that this is the ones that you actually get to see, right? Because there's the women that they know what no one knows they were perforated. Not even the doctor can tell that he perforated. Why? Because this is a blinded surgery. He can't see what he's doing. You know, so obviously he cannot see when they're perforating. They cannot see the scars that they leave women after their abortion and their years when they scrape them to make sure everything was out. You know, they can't see that. So obviously some of them go unreported just because no one knew. You know, it's when that woman takes forever to get healed, that keeps bleeding, that keeps having really bad cramps, that keeps having really bad pain, and they keep telling her, oh, this is normal. Oh, some women get more pain than others. Oh, some women bleed more than others. Oh, it's normal for you to take six months to recover from this abortion. You know, and that probably she had a perforation. The perforations we have heard of is because women couldn't take the pain anymore, either go to the emergency room or they bleed so much that they can stop it. There's perforations that are not that big. They still happen. Wow. And um, how serious and life-threatening are those perforations for these women? Very. I mean, a woman can can lose their life. And not also, it's about life-threatening. This is the reason why some of them can get pregnant after. You know, it's scarring on their on their euros after that perforation when it heals. You know, that prevents them sometimes from getting pregnant again. So we're not only talking about these women uh, losing their life, right? But even losing the chance to become mothers again. We're talking with Myra Rodriguez, a former Planned Parenthood Employee of the Year, a clinic manager, and now a whistleblower to uh, to what's going on behind the scenes over there at Planned Parenthood. Now, what was the what? So, was this the issue that began to turn for you, where you you decided that you needed to let the world know about what's going on? How did you go from managing the clinic and being Employee of the Year to pro life? How does that transformation work? So basically, how did I go from being the loyal? employee to their enemy right right so well when i reported all this uh i mean the case that was a drop right like there's always something you know this spills the this spills the, the the glass right and the last drop was there was a 19 year old girl that was 14 weeks pregnant and the doctor performed the abortion and left the head inside the assistant told Holy him smoke. hey we're missing i mean this is the part where the assistants go into that a product of conception room, also known as a POC room, to put that puzzle together of the baby, right? Making sure everything's there. And the assistant comes back and says, you're missing the head. And he says, look everywhere. And he was refusing to check for it. He sent them to check everywhere. And he was moving on, right? Remember I told you at the beginning, he wants to take 10 to 15 minutes on each patient. So he wanted to move on. It was Sunday. He wants to go home. And then the assistant goes into my office and she was crying and she was very worried about it. And she said, you know, I already told him he's missing the head. He's not listening. I know I could get fired, but I had to tell you. So I go in the back we get into an argument with the doctor. And then um, I tell him, you know, it seems that you're missing the head. And he says, go look for it in the trash. That right there, referring to a baby, 14 week head. 
as trash, just if it was another piece of gauze, another trash from what he had done, you know, and, and not caring about it, you know, after the argument, he decided to finally agree to perform an ultrasound and find the head right above an IUD that he had already inserted. So if it wasn't from the pressure of the employees uh, telling him to go back, that patient would have gone home, that 19-year-old would have gone home and probably died from a septicemia, from the baby parts being inside her, left there with an IUD, which would have prevented her from expulsing the head. He refused to document the chart because he will falsify patient charts, meaning nothing that happened in the room will be documented in their chart. You know, the charts always look like abortion done without complications. So I left the clinic, called my supervisor, said, that's it, no more. I'm not going to stand by this. I'm not going to stay quiet. I will go to whatever I need to go, but this will not keep going on. That got me fired, as you can imagine. That loyal employee was now a threat to Planned Parenthood. And I get fired. So with the help of uh, a lot of people in the in the pro-life community, people that were praying outside my former clinic, um, I found my lawyer, Tim Casey, and, you know, I took my case to him and I explained my situation, the undocumented part, remember? And he said, you have rights, we're going to defend them. We started a lawsuit against Planned Parenthood as a, for wrongful um, termination as a whistleblower protection act. Wow. wow. Yeah, <laughs> that is, you know, one of the arguments that we hear all the time is my body, my choice. And as you're talking about, you know, the description of this doctor telling us to go look in a trash can for the head of this baby. I just can't imagine how how someone can continue to make such an argument. My body, my choice, when clearly the body of the child is the one most devastated by the, the abortion and uh, so this was the, the thing that changed everything for you? Well, yeah. I mean, remember for many years I worked in clinics that had nothing to do with abortion. I was in clinics that were preventing, you know, I was, I thought I was doing my part preventing abortion and unwanted pregnancies, right? That's what I call them, unwanted pregnancies, mm-hmm. right? By being in the preventive care, you know, I mean, it, my being blind was so comfortable for me right because my personal life was like oh i have benefits like remember i have the american dream and and that's what i mean i mean these women that say oh it's my body my choice it's just that same thing you know it just you don't want to see what you have to see just because it's comfortable right making excuses saying oh it doesn't have any feelings yet oh he's better dead than being coming to this world all those are excuses to just be selfish to be honest you know like it is a selfish act because then you just think of yourself and they're not even thinking of themselves, right? Because women get hurt with abortion, so they're not even thinking of themselves. They're just thinking of that moment. And I did that for many years. I thought of that moment. You know, I have a salary. I can take care of my children. I can take, I can provide. I can help, you know. And then I'm undocumented and I still have a good job, right? I don't have to work babysitting or cleaning houses or, or stuff like some of my... Uh, other people have to do because unfortunately that's all that sometimes we can aim for right so we just justify and that's what human beings do right we justify our our acts our selfish acts just so we can um, have what we think will be a better life you know i think it's really really important the making the point about the selfishness of the act because i mean sometimes we get kind of antsy and we like don't want to say point out the obvious but that 
abortion is self-worship. It's, it's uh, sacrificing your child at the altar of yourself. And I think that's really important that we point out. Uh, one thing, I don't know how familiar you are with the abortion situation in Mexico um, being in the States, but are you familiar with uh, what's going on in Mexico with abortion? And this, is, are they having the same issues as the States or is it worse? Is it better? What's going on over there? Yes. Yeah, I'm very familiar. So uh, just a quick, quick date. Uh, on October 3rd of 2017, I got fired. And this year on my fourth anniversary, I got to celebrate with Mexico City marching with uh, over 500,000 people in my hometown city um, for life and for women. Why? Because the Supreme Court pulled out Roe versus Wade, the Mexican way, which he was despenalizing abortion. That's what they say, despenalizing. We didn't legalize it. It's the same thing, right? Why? Because when you despenalize abortion, you're allowing the doctors to perform these abortions that they were already being done illegally. The same doctors, the same back alley abortions will be happening with a license now, right? And then we'll be taxed by the government, right? Win-win scenario, right? So how is that concern us on the states, right? Why? Because I'm accusing a doctor that it's just two hours away from the border from Arizona to Sonora, Mexico, which is Nogales, right? Um, I mean, it will take nothing for him to cross the border and open a clinic and start performing abortions. Who can complain about him? I mean, a Mexican, it hurts me to say this, but Mexico, it is one of the most corrupted countries in the world. Mm. I mean, if you are Mexican, you know that with money, you can get almost anything, right? Uh, so can you imagine what people will have seen there and stay quiet? I mean, just here, you know, I lasted 10 months as the abortion director, and I saw enough in those 10 months. Only 10 months it took for me as an abortion director, you know, that to see what I couldn't see when I was just in non-abortion clinic. I don't know how people last longer than that and stay quiet. You know, when people call me courageous, I always wonder why I did the right thing, right? Speaking up should not be a choice. It's an obligation. I like to say that all the time because to me, that's what it was. Speaking up was not a choice. I was obligated to speak up, speak up for women, speak up for the unborn and speak up for the the business of Planned Parenthood, because that's what I call it. And that's what's happening in Mexico. Planned Parenthood had a business plan since 2007, and that's to expand their business in every border town city with our country. Why? Because if things get harder here, like they did in Texas, they open a clinic at the border, and our kids will go there. So what should we say to people? Because... I get this all the time. We talk to people and personally being aware of the situation in Planned Parenthood, I'm very well aware that we should trust nothing that comes out of Planned Parenthood. Everything they say is a lie. All their statistics are lies. Everything they do is a lie. I mean, if you're willing to kill babies, what aren't you willing to do? But the many people would say, oh, well, you know, Planned Parenthood claims, uh, says they do this, says they do that. They only do abortions, only one, 2% of what they do. Um, the other statistics they throw out, we save women by providing ultrasounds and all these other things. How do we respond to these uh, accusations or these, I guess, defenses of Planned Parenthood? You know, that, that was me. That was me for many years, you know. At my clinic, we have these many women prevent uh, from cervical cancer, you know, just by screening them for their pap smear, right? And I was defending them right until I find out that it wasn't 3%. First of all, I will welcome them to see the testimony of the many former abortion workers that have left that industry, you know, like mine, like Abby Johnson, like Patricia Sandoval, like all that many, like, with, and then they were not, which is the one of the ministries from Abby Johnson. It's more than 500 of us that have left the abortion industry and cooperate or work together with them and heal with them. You know, we call ourselves a tribe. 
because we heal together, right? It's more than 500 of us. So when, when you hear the testimony of people leaving that industry to become pro-life and tell you, you know, what we have seen inside there, and I'm talking from employees that were there for maybe 30, 60 days to employees that were there like me, 17, 25 years, right? Like Sue Thayer, who now runs the 40 Days for Life campaigns, right? So when people hear this, you know, you tell them that. You say, like, look at how many former abortion doctors or, or employees have left that industry and their testimonies and what they have seen. You know, this is a corporation. You know, what shocks me constantly is we have this new wave of Jude people going against corporations, right? Except Apple and Planned Parenthood, right? Like, that's not a corporation to them, right? Because they all want the newest iPhone and they all want to be cool, like in Planned Parenthood, right? But... It's just a brainwash, you know, it's a brainwash because they know that we have a new generation that it's more selfish than what we have seen before. Right now, which I will say my generation probably started it all. Myra, I'm curious to know uh, what role did your Catholic faith and your Mexican roots uh, especially like, you know, you're, you're Mexican, you have a Mexican cultural background. Uh, what, what role did uh, your, your love for your Mexican culture and your love for your Catholic faith have in your decision for leaving Planned Parenthood? Or did, do, were, were you a faithful Catholic prior to this? Or did your Catholic faith increase after having been exposed to what Planned Parenthood does? Thank you, Janice, for this question, because hardly anyone has asked me that. Well, um, I was born and raised Catholic in Mexico City, right? I was just telling them right before this uh, that, I mean, the Virgin of Guadalupe is her patroness, right? My mother thinks Guadalupe. You can imagine my poor mother, how I quiet her conscience for many years, you know? And for many years, I will tell her, Mom, but where I work, we don't do abortions, right? Hmm. And this is how I will quiet her conscience, right? Now, was I a faithful Catholic? No. If I would have been a faithful Catholic, I would not have been there. Right. I can tell you that I was far away from my church. Why? Because every time I go to church, I will hear people asking people to pray outside of where I work. And I'm like, I'm not going there. And my mom will be like, you have to go to church this Sunday. I'm like, nah, mom, you know, I'm, I'm going to skip. Right. So I was not that faithful. I was far away from my church and, and I started falling, you know. So when I keep saying that in Spanish, we'll say I was uh, uh, a Catholic, which was like, you know, like we we'll go to church whenever, whenever it was a holiday and that's it. Right. But then after I left, you know, th- this lady was praying outside of the clinic, has been praying for 25 years. Right. Um, she got worried when I got fired. I, I mean, I don't know who does that. Who can get worried when when the director of the abortion clinic gets fired? But she did, you know, and. She found her way to get my number and she texted me and says, I hope you don't mind, but can I talk to you? I call her. She said, do you want me to help you heal? Find healing. She took me to a priest in a church uh, nearby my house and I started healing and I came back to our church. And that's the truth. You know, just a quick, just a quick update. Last Sunday, we were at the family roster in Phoenix, Arizona, and um, it was the first time. Lynn, which is the, the person that I told you about outside of the clinic, and I prayed the rosary together. She came and whispered in my ear, I know in a million years did I dream praying the rosary together with you one day, Myra. Mm-hmm. You know, because all this time when I worked, I looked at her through the window and she kept praying, you know, and she will tell me I'm praying. When I took the job as the director of the abortion clinic, my mother was so worried about me that gave me a rosary to put on my on on my 
uh, mirror, right? So she noticed that I was Catholic. And, you know, from that moment, I said, you're Catholic. How could you be here? You know what I mean? Then I made an understanding. Now I do. Of course, yeah. after I have healed, I have, after I come back to my church and I have admitted, you know, I was being selfish. I work in a place like that because I needed it. And I played it, you know, I played to be blinded and, and not hearing the truth. And, and, but the truth was, it was always there. And I just didn't want to see it because I was comfortable. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I find that a lot of Mexican American people, uh, we, we, we come to America and we practice our Catholic faith by tradition. Uh, we just follow it based on the tradition that has been passed down to us, but we never really take ownership of our Catholic faith. And I find that uh, a lot of um Hispanic Americans can 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 false um, can can basically put their Catholic faith on the back burner uh, because it's not as uh, they don't have they don't take ownership of their Catholic faith and so what would you say is the remedy for uh, the um, Mexican American culture especially those that uh, perhaps are not well educated on why we should not be supporting Planned Parenthood or, uh, you know, like what were the statistics of, did you see a lot of Hispanics coming into the clinic and, and how can we remedy that, um, safe, uh, uh, save the culture, uh, from this, um, from this issue. Exactly. You hit the right point in saving our culture. You know, that's what we have to do because that's where all this is coming through, right? Removing our culture is the first step. And then, they get, that's how they get to our kids, right? Why? Because we now have kids that are like, they hardly want to speak Spanish or hardly want to do anything with being Mexican, right? Because their culture is gone, right? And I think that's what we need to do. We need to start at home. And also our church has to help us more, right? A lot of churches do, you know, but talking about this, you know, sometimes if I go to a mass here in Arizona, every priest will say, as part of the intentions, to pray for the unborn of how abortion is seen. And how, but if I go to a mass in the state of California, I had hardly heard a priest say that. You know, wow. it, like if you go to a liberal state, you hardly hear the priest say that because they don't want to get into the more um, political issues. This is not political. Saving the unborn, saving women, it's not political. It's not about being Republican or Democrat. You know, to us, it's about our religion, yes, because we're Catholic or Christian, and it's about what Christ wants us to do, right? But to many people who are atheists, it's not about religion. It's about human rights, right? It's about saving the world, saving lives. It's about saying enough. We don't have to keep doing the human sacrifice for something that doesn't even exist. When I say that, it's why? Because women, women can do everything with their kids, so it's a lie. You know, it, it, they're telling them and selling them a lie. And then one uh, one other thing that I would like to mention is being immigrant. It's what really pushed me to start this lesson, you know, because I have seen the immigrant community stay quiet too long. Mm. You know, I have seen women get used by this abortion mill, by this abortion industry, right? Like what I saw in California was women that work in the field, they get pregnant by their four men right there, and they get taken to Planned Parenthood to have abortions, no questions asked, right? And then wow. you're like, oh, well, how nice Planned Parenthood doesn't care about them. You know, they don't even ask them for ID. And right. this is how they get to our people, right? You are safe to come here. No one will call ICE on you. No one will do anything. It doesn't matter if you don't have insurance. You can come to us. Oh, how nice of them, right? But the reality is they're doing that 
so they can come and have abortions without question asked. And they see the same guy bringing women to the same dif- or different clinics on the same area and not question asked why the same guy keeps bringing women. Yes. You know, and this is a reality. Let me, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left in our conversation. Sorry. No, you're okay. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left in our conversation with Myra Rodriguez. Uh, and I want to bring up, sort of hit on this point that you just brought up, and that is the role of men. Uh, I'm giving a talk at the Men's March coming up in Baltimore. It's the uh, National Men's March to End Abortion on November the 15th. The website is themensmarch.com. I, myself, am post-abortive, and uh, and so I've experienced this myself. But maybe in the next, uh, you got about two minutes, can you talk about the role men have played. You gave a great example of the abuse of these uh, migrant ladies uh, by their foremans and others, but uh, how often do we see men driving these women to these clinics? And, uh, you know, we're told all the time uh, that men should not have an opinion on this. I say the contrary. What say you, Myra? No, men should have an opinion of this. You know, I mean, I could tell you that 50% of the women that seek abortion is because of their partner issues. They don't have a partner that will support them. Right. If not a little bit more, you know, if I remember this specific patient that will be like, oh, you know, my boyfriend is so good. I was with her in the recovery room waiting for her to leave because I had to cover up for the nurse. And then um, she said, um, oh, my boyfriend's outside. Oh, he's so good to me. And, and I say, honey, oh, my God, honey, he's only making sure you get this done. So he will have nothing to do with you. He's not that he's being supported. He's making sure that he won't be responsible. And that's the main issue, right? So when people give you the excuse of a rape victim, the abortion is helping the rapist the most. Not that woman, you know, because she's not going to get better. She's not going to heal. Her trauma is never going to go away. Actually, her trauma will increase, you know. And when we're talking about this young 19-year-old that, oh, you know what, I I should have an abortion so I can finish school. We're just telling you, I should have an abortion. So then I will make that man responsible to help me raise a child and to help me pursue my career too and together, come out together. So yes, men have to speak up. We have to do better at home as mothers, as fathers, to teach our kids more responsibility, especially men, you know, and to teach them how wrong it is to have, uh, to get someone pregnant and then tell her, go have an abortion. Or, you know, I'll support your decision. That's fine. That's the comfortable spot, right? I always say whatever meant about it's for abortion is because he's an irresponsible man. All right. Well, we are out of time, but praise be to God. We're so very grateful uh, for you being on our program, Myra Rodriguez. Uh, former Planned Parenthood Employee of the Year and uh, whistleblower. Uh, thank you for your time today. If anybody wants more information about you and what you're doing to get the word out, uh, how do they find you? Well, I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, it's Myra Rodriguez or the real Myra Rodriguez. Sorry, there were too many 